So Nick, when it comes to trust and probate mediation, what are the types of claims and issues that you see um, in disputes in this space? There are two areas, really, I think, Ben. Um, typically, there's a, the most disputes go to do with contested wills or intestacy and relating to family problems arising on a death. Uh, so it's, it, for that reason alone, it's a sad time for people. And a typical sort of problem is uh, an interpretation of the will or uh, a dispute amongst the family about whether the will should be fair or not. People try to challenge it. They argue perhaps that the deceased didn't have mental capacity to make a will and the increase in dementia has given rise to a lot more issues there, for example, uh, or that one of the family members unduly influenced the deceased to favour them rather than somebody else. So you get a lot of disputes around wills, which are very difficult because they throw up all the sort of historical family problems that exist, not just the immediate sort of blood family, brother, sister, wife, husband, but the extended family or sometimes second families that are brought in, the, the new spouse of a son or a daughter or a second marriage. And sadly, you know, people see an asset that they want a share of and often they don't think it's fair where it's been going to either through a will or an intestacy. So claims come along and that's one area where I see a lot of work. Particularly, and I don't know whether you know about this, Ben, there's, a, there's an act, a 1975 act, called for short the Inheritance Act, and that provides or allows for um, both family members and other dependents of the deceased to make a claim to the court so that the court can uh, redistribute the estate against the will, perhaps, or against the rules on intestacy in circumstances where the court feels it's appropriate and the claimant hasn't been properly provided for. Uh, and there's a lot of work in that area. A good example, let me give you one. Um, the deceased leaves all his or her money to a charity, to the you know, Battersea Dogs Home, to, typically, people talk about, and nothing to dependents who are desperate for something. <laughs> and so they have a right, and they've got, uh, I think, six months from the date of probate to apply to the court for the, the will or the rules on intestacy to be changed to uh, allow them some proper maintenance or financial provision to look after them. There's a lot of work in that area. And, uh, you know, I, they're difficult too, because sometimes the difficult cases would be where the deceased has a new partner towards the end of his or her life, has made a will in favour of the children of a marriage, but then suddenly uh, dies unexpectedly and leaves the, the, the new partner with nothing. That partner may have nowhere to live, may be detested by the family, mm -hmm. <laughs> often see such a person as a carpetbagger, there you go, that sort of case. And they can apply to the court for some assistance, which you know that, that happens quite a lot. So you get all those, those issues around wills and you get other issues which are more, um, to do with the executors of mismanagement of an estate or um, bad investment, of in, uh, uh, breaches of trust, that sort of claim, which can also be very personal and very emotional, but slightly different type of legal issues that arise. And, and it's, it's ripe for mediation because people, you know, they want to deal with them privately, they want to deal with them quickly, they want to deal with them cost-effectively. And particularly in the former category, the, uh, the family issues, which can be very emotional and tense, 
I don't really want to deal with them in public. Uh, so it's a, it's a good area for people to find a solution through mediation. Mm -hmm. Are there any, do you deal with many instances where perhaps there wasn't a will at all or, or a very clear one? Um, I'm just thinking about in the context of where we are now, where, where fortunately, you know, people are, are being taken far before their, their time and maybe haven't got their estate in order. Are there any cases that you see of that kind? Yes, I mean, they, 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 you're right, there are a lot now, and it, it is difficult for people making wills now when you can't meet your solicitor and your, your family to talk about it, it's hard. Um, and so a lot of these issues arise when there isn't any will and the uh, it's what, you know, intestacy is, and rules kick in. There are fixed rules about how assets are distributed when there's no will, and those can be disputed similarly, um, and particularly through the Inheritance Act, the, the 1975 Act I mentioned, claims arise there. You occasionally get you know, legal disputes. People say a will's been forged. Sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't, um, but people claim it is. Mm -hmm can't resolve those obviously in a mediation because I'm not the judge but mm -hmm. that might be the background to a dispute where people genuinely think one family member has you know deliberately written their mother's or their, their late father's name against a will and they challenge it mm -hmm. um, that, that sometimes happens but it isn't really resolved that's not the issue that gets resolved at mediation the issue that no. gets resolved is how do we sort the problem out mm -hmm. And on the whole, do you think this is an area that's increasing? Are we seeing an increasing number of claims in this space, both you know coming coming to legal proceedings, but also to mediate? Yeah, absolutely, we are. Um, the property rise in property values made a big difference because suddenly people think you know, dad's estate or mum's estate's worth much more than it used to be, and so people, and sadly, uh, often through greed or you know, decide they want a, a slice of it, and uh, that's made a big difference. I think. Increasing number of deaths, I'm sure, arising sadly over the pandemic will give rise to more potential claims. Uh, those, those are key issues. Uh, and the, the type of problem doesn't really go away. It just keeps keeps coming. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> it's, a bit, it's, a bit, it's a bit sad in some ways because you see the, the best and worst of families. Mm -hmm. um, as a mediator, I started off doing this line of work thinking, you know, happy families, let's get everybody together again. It just doesn't work like that. I mean, you've just got to recognise that some of these issues are deep-rooted and, you know, siblings have disputes from childhood that they never really forget. And suddenly, you know, there's a will which gives one brother or sister more than the other, and all these resentments boil over. Mm -hmm. um, and so from the mediator's point of view, you're looking for solutions, but you don't always have a magic wand that can make everything go away. You've just got to... Come up, hope, hope them. Hopefully, come up with something that um, enables everyone to move forward and look, look to the future, not not the past. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And and now, sort of moving forward a little bit, assuming that um, people are going to come to mediation to mediate their their dispute in this space. What advice would you give in terms of preparation, both for the the party, but also their legal representative if they have one? They mostly do in the cases I do, uh, and and it's a pretty important role because. The law is complex. Uh, people won't easily know their way around the Inheritance Act or the rules on intestacy or uh, those sorts of points. So lawyers are often involved and, and can be very useful. And for the lawyers, I mean, the key, as in most mediations, is to you know, quickly get to understand the strengths and weaknesses of your case and to deploy those to the client's benefit. Timing is an important issue for mediation in any case, as, as you know, Ben, and uh, particularly in this area where 
the disputes often arise when people are, you know, someone's just died and, and they're still grieving and they need to solve these problems in order to, to move forward. So understanding that is important for the lawyer. Uh, frankly, as soon as you know the issues are clarified and the costs are kept low, it's a good time to, to try to find a solution. Uh, I, I, I always advise lawyers to talk to their, the other side quickly and, and early you know, to, to, to design and work with a mediator to design, to design a process which meets the particular needs of the family. Um, and I've found during the lockdown where I'm doing almost exclusively, obviously, online mediations, you can design a process that might allow for several mediation sessions to take place where you can talk first, for example, to one family member, family unit, group, then to another, maybe the executors, there might be two or three different contentious groups, and you can talk to them online before they get together, uh, work out what they need, talk to them, give them confidence, explain the process, begin to build up an understanding of where they want to get to, and then bring people together online. And online is very useful because most mediations, particularly the, 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 the emotional ones, people just don't want to see each other. They, mm -hmm. if, if it was face-to-face, -face, they rarely go in the same room. I would tend to get the lawyers together if I can, but not, not the individuals, because that just blows up the problems um, and you're trying to diffuse them. And although there are some benefits in having people meet with each other, there's some real benefits. This is a typically an area where it happens that they don't meet more often than they do. So thinking about those things in advance is really important. Planning, is this the sort of case where you do want the parties to get together? Is this as a sort of place where you want to have a number of meetings before getting down to the point to, to make people comfortable? Um, and then there's a whole host of practical issues. I don't know if I've told you already, but most of the disputes resolve around property because uh, people need somewhere to live. It's normally some family member wanting a house or housing. So, and there's never enough money to go around. So it's often a question of realizing assets, perhaps selling a property, which might be worth quite a lot to, to raise funds to buy a smaller property or to share and buy several. It depends on the size of the estate. So the lawyers and the parties, before they get together to mediate, need to think about what it is they really are trying to achieve. Is the money available to do that? They need to get up-to-date property valuations because you know, if you've got to realize cash, you need to have how much cash you're going to realize. So talking to valuers in advance, you, you might need to have accountants handy. Uh, a lot of tax issues arise uh, through a death, inheritance tax, um, for example. And you need perhaps to discuss with an accountant whether there are the ways of dividing an estate which are tax efficient. That's worth planning in advance. Um, you might want to have uh, people on hand but not necessarily coming along to the mediation, either face-to-face -face or online, because it's cheaper to have them on the telephone. Um, you might have a, a council, if council or the barristers not decide, you decide not to bring them along to a mediation, but want them there for a second opinion, have them on the phone, plan for that in advance. Mm -hmm. um, and then you need to think about the sort of personal issues, which are really important, because sometimes the disputes are about money, sometimes they're about much more much stronger things, if you the burial, yeah. you know, the headstone, what's written on the headstone, people have different views about it and can fall out terribly about it, needs to be very sensitively thought about and handled. And the lawyers on both sides can really help with that. 
they after all are independent of the immediate emotional problem and mostly, although some lawyers inevitably get more involved than others, mm. can help stand back and help their clients uh, hold their hand a little bit and, and focus on what's really necessary. That, those are really useful things a lawyer can do just to manage the process, which can, can be fraught with the sort of tensions that I've, I've been explaining. Mm. Uh, so quite a lot of planning to do. Um, and then, you know, working out and thinking, you know, who needs to be there? Uh, I'm a great believer in having someone there who to hold your, your hand sometimes. Mm -hmm. You know, they're not, a, they're not a party to the mediation, but people feel comfortable with a friend there, and you know, I'm all for that. Uh, so I, 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 you know, I encourage that sort of thing to be thought about. Where that the issue can get difficult, and I don't know whether you've seen that in your experience, but sometimes you have people coming along who are, other family members who are not immediately beneficiaries in the estate. They're the next generation. Mm -hmm. And I've seen some cases which are really difficult where you can see them advising perhaps their mother in a way that suits them, but doesn't necessarily suit yeah. her. Mm -hmm. And you've got to be quite alert to that because it, it is difficult. And uh, so who comes along and what their role is needs to be thought about and, and discussed, you know, to, to come up with the, the process most likely to bring a successful solution. Yeah. And and you, you mentioned earlier a lot of the personal issues or personal elements need to be thought about and, and prepared for. And one big aspect of mediation that, that can come up quite often is an issue of an apology. Oh, yes. yeah. That, that people perhaps need to um, prepare for or think about in terms of how they might want it to come across if they want to deliver it at all, and also the impact that it could have upfront in the mediation in terms of sort of laying the foundation for a, for a good rapport and, and, you know, a productive session. Well, you absolutely hit the nail on the head. It can make such a difference if, if an emotional situation can be diffused or managed at the outset by being slightly, you know, less aggressive than the parties naturally feel when they feel angry. Um, apologies or or a recognition that actually, you now one of the disputes that happens a lot is an argument about who looked after mum or dad in those last months or years of their illness, perhaps leading up to a death. And there often is one family member who takes a lead role and the others sometimes without an objective stance sort of tend to resent it a little bit, particularly if they're favoured in a will. And if you could, you know, it's, uh, at the outset, people do feel, you know, why did my sister get more than me, you know, dad always liked her better, it's not fair. Mm -hmm. But if they can be encouraged to look at it slightly more objectively and to recognise there might have been a good reason for it, and, and even better, to start off a mediation by saying, you know, I just wanted before, we, you know, I know we've got a dispute here to solve, but actually I do appreciate all the help you gave and thanks for that. Gosh, it can make a difference. Mm -hmm. uh, and lawyers can help there. I mean, it's another way of apologising, but just getting across something that is recognition that the other side has been hurt and needs to be looked after as well. The best settlements are ones where you understand and uh, give support to the other side's position as well as your own. I uh, couldn't agree with you more. Really good point. Fantastic. And now moving on from preparation into sort of the negotiation strategy, because this is something really yeah. important for um, parties and lawyers to think about before they come to mediation. I mean, we've touched on a lot in, in preparation, but are there anything else that people should be considering when they're looking at, you know, their strategy for, for the negotiation, for the mediation? 
Well, obviously knowing what it is you really need to achieve is the, is the key thing and how to get there. Um, I'm a great believer. I think the best negotiators are, are those who recognize the value of concession, that both sides have to leave a mediation with something. Um, those that come in and saying, you know, take it or leave it, this is the deal. It, it just doesn't work. It just it creates an immediate tension and a blockage and no, you know, no, not to say halfway house isn't the right word, but no understanding that, that there are at least two sides to an argument and the successful disputes enable both sides to, to come away with, with something. I think I've said that already. Um, the key things normally are how do we, how do we realize enough cash to make the uh, estate go around so that everybody can get a benefit. And that's where tax can come in. If you can save some tax and, and, and build the pot up a little bit. Um, do you need to give somebody, you know, sometimes people get a life interest in a property. You can stay in this house until your death so that you're secure and safe and have got bricks and mortar around you. Sometimes people don't want to do that. They want to draw, they have a clean break, draw a line. And so you need to think about how to uh, have a, a present value of a life interest and, and bring it all up to today. And um, in, in negotiations, think about that in advance. How are you going to achieve it? What sort of rate of return are you going to think of to get to that? And come up with constructive ideas which you can share with, with your opponent. Um, the one thing I've seen happen a couple of times recently, which obviously is a, is a, a no-no, is when you're making a proposal, make sure it is... Um, a concession on the previous ones that might have been made without prejudice correspondence or discussions between the parties before the mediation. <laughs> we had one the other day where one of the parties in a, in a family dispute, their initial opening offer to try and settle it was more than they'd been talking about, you know, the weeks running up to it. So yeah. go off on a bad foot. <laughs> you need to understand and remember that. Um, and, and, and in negotiations, be prepared. You know, this is a good, in this area of work particularly, uh, be prepared to give away things that are that don't mean as much to you as they do to the other side. And, and here you have uh, chattels uh, or jewellery, photographs, personal objects, which might mean a lot to one person and not so much to the other. Be prepared to say, look, you know, I know you really uh, wanted to keep mum's jewellery. Help yourself. You take first pick or whatever it is. Come up with that because actually for you, you weren't interested in it particularly anyway. So from a negotiation point of view, you're giving away something of less value to you. And that creates a good atmosphere for seeking to achieve something that's more important to you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And how much about the sort of preparation is getting the tone right, is getting yourself in a space where you can you can enter the mediation in a positive frame of mind as opposed to coming with maybe anger, aggression, resentment? Hurt. Well, it, it, I mean, it does, it, it does happen that. And as the mediator, you've just got to recognise that you're going to have to deal with it. Um, People not meeting with each other can help, uh, even though on occasions it's good to get together because you can build up a, a positive relationship. Um, and you need to deal with that at the beginning of, of, of the sessions and make sure you understand whether they're going to meet or not. Uh, but you need to, as the mediator, you need just to listen to people and, and you know, accept that they're angry and cross and upset. Uh, you can't understand it. It's not your family, but because you've, you know, in my case, you've been around for a while and you've seen people and understand how they work, you know that it's a hurt uh, and you've just got to recognise that and manage it, but then get them to focus on what they're trying to achieve on the day, which is not to just be cross and angry and go away cross and angry, 
it's to achieve a, a solution to hopefully let that anger subside and move on to other things. Okay, mm-hmm. they may never see the other family members again or not for a long time, but at least move forward having achieved what you want to get out of it. You, you've just got to redirect them. Yeah. And but it's hard, it's hard and, uh, you know, that's why I, I say I enjoy this area. I find it very difficult because you're you're, you're taking on these emotions, but I, I, I like to bring a calming influence to them, and I, I, I think that that's a way of handling it quite well. Yeah, yeah, and you, and you mentioned a couple of things that might create. I think you said blockages, and um, for example, the take it or leave it approach, or not starting negotiations from where they where they left yeah. off, and, and these things, as you mentioned, can cause deadlock, and that's something that you know all mediations encounter at some point not just obviously trust wills and probate but how do you as a mediator working with the parties go about breaking any instances of of, of deadlock where things you know sort of seem intractable and that they can't go forward oh and you, they, you do you get the sort of statement you know why on earth she, she should she get a penny or mm-hmm. uh, you know I, I knew she'd do this it's ridiculous it's a waste of time i mean uh, and that's how people feel so they've got they, they say it and uh what I continually try to do as the mediator is get them to focus on and remind them why they've come, what they're trying to achieve, putting that to one side, uh, not, not ignoring the strength of feeling they've got, accepting and understanding it, but just getting them to slightly refocus on important issues of solutions. Uh, and I think as a mediator, you can perform a very valuable role there by listening to them and taking that on board, but, but not letting it uh, stop the process. Um, one creative solution I remember came up in one case. There were two people who were going hammer and tongs at each other uh, about a particular asset, which both of them wanted. I can't remember what it was now. And in the end, and I don't remember where it came from. I'd like to think it was me, but it may not have been. We ended up with a solution where the particular asset, they both agreed they would give it to charity. Yeah. Neither of them would get it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they would give it to the deceased's favorite charity as a gift. And neither would be up, one up on the other. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was a solution. Uh, it might have been the lawyers. Lawyers can be very, you know, the lawyers for the parties can be very helpful at breaking deadlocks. I quite often, when it's getting difficult, have a little session with them on their own and say, look, you know, we, we've got some problems here. You know, your clients are, for obvious reasons, you know, cross and fed up and not happy with each other. What can we do about this? And, and the lawyers, together with the mediator, can quite often come up with ways of moving it forward without, uh, you know, being patronising or, or forcing things on people, which obviously is not not, not the job at all. Um, one thing I always think about then at mediations, I re- but I don't, I rarely say it, is what would the deceased have said if he was to be or she to be looking at you now? Uh, I, th- I think about it a lot because. You know, you do wonder whether yeah. the person who passed away would would have wanted this. I very rarely say it because it's so presumptuous to know what other people's families or the fat deceased might have thought. But that's in my mind, and I'm trying to find ways of of getting them to see it themselves. Yeah, um, holding up a mirror type, yeah. Yeah, but it's it's you have to be so sensitive because it's just not. How can I know um, how 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 personal it is? Yeah. And you're sort of talking about these personal issues, and I think what we'll come on to discuss, because it's a theme that's come up a lot, sort of managing mm-hmm. in this context. But just briefly going going to the sort of lawyer's perspective, in the time that you've been involved in mediation, have you seen the sort of need 
for for lawyers to have sort of expanded skill set to be able to deal with some of the more emotional sides to disputes, not just the technical aspects of, of what is going on. Yeah, I mean, this this particular area of, of the law and this type of problem does inevitably generate emotion. Of course it does, for obvious reasons. Actually, most commercial disputes have an emotional angle to them. Mm-hmm. And I never forget it. And actually, you know, we're all, we all, if we're the you know, senior director of a major bank or a financial institution or some sort, or a, a straight business deal, we're all people. And understanding how people operate, the, the, the angers, the defensiveness, the aggression that we all have is really important uh, for, for a mediator and for their lawyers to understand. Good lawyers can hold a client's hand and say, you know, John or Mary, you know, calm down a bit. Let, you know, understand this is getting, you're angry about this, but we're here for a purpose. So it isn't just in this field of, of family disputes that you need to understand it. And uh, good lawyers do understand that. They, of course, know the law and advise their clients on that, but they're also able to uh, recognize when the heat is on, sometimes call for time out and just bring them back to where they should be, which is focused on the solution at hand. Mm-hmm. We're humans. We, we react. We, 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 uh, we can't help it. And uh, it's, an, it's an important part of any dispute process. Mm-hmm. And, and when we're looking at the lawyers or continuing with that, when it comes to mediation advocacy, for them being a good mediation advocate, do you have any sort of tips in that space? Well, I think we've talked already, and I, I yeah. absolutely agree that, um, you know, being firm and, 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 and focused is really key, but being aggressive and banging the table and jumping up and down just creates more of the same from the other side. Um, the good advocate is one who puts his point and his case across clearly and shortly, uh, and then focuses really on solutions and a recognition that it needs two people to sort out a deal. You know, banging someone's head until it hurts is just not going to achieve that. So, yes, I, I think it's an important understand. And, and coming back to this, something we talked about earlier on, coming up with the apology, the recognition that, uh, which I'm, I, I do talk about a lot with lawyers before mediations, I said, look, uh, why not start off by recognising that we haven't got it all right either? You know, we think we've got a strong case, but you know, looking back, we perhaps should have done one or two things differently. We're here to find a solution. It makes such a difference just to say that. Mm-hmm. Uh, just to get the thing off on the, on the right footing doesn't mean you're weak or giving up your strong points. It's just a recognition that both sides have to move. Uh, makes a big difference. Yeah. And we've talked a lot about process planning or process design and all the things that need to be considered, you know, in terms of preparation and attendees and perhaps different combinations of people getting together. Is there, I mean, when it comes to designing the process, are you seeing more conversations happening around, are we going to do this virtually? Are we going to wait until we can do it in person? Um, what are the sort of discussions happening in that space? Well, talking to fellow mediators and, and to lawyers who, who I'm working with on mediations, most people have found the virtual process pretty successful. Of course, it's not perfect. Uh, there are times when being in the same room as you and I would be normally, just being able to see each other, look at, you know, see the hand movements. The, mm-hmm. It's really useful to understand how whether our point's getting across or not. Um, and we talked earlier on about apologies. Sometimes a face-to-face apology with a, a proper handshake and a looking in the eye makes such a big difference. But I've had mediations online with apologies working really well. You know, I, people just talking as you and I are together can come across 
as it's genuinely meant to, meaningfully and valuably. Um, so I'm I'm a great I'm a, I've become aware often as not the parties don't want to meet each other anyway, and they'd rather be in the safety and comfort of their homes or a secure environment and not outside or in a in a in a, in a lawyer's office, you know, we're talking about people here who, you know, families don't spend their time in lawyers' offices, <laughs> sadly for lawyers, but they, they, they want to be at home, they want to be safe, they want to be secure. And so there's a lot of good that can happen online and uh, it's working well. So the, one of the benefits I've also found is it's much easier for me to talk to the parties separately before the mediation day online than it ever has been face-to-face. Face-to-face means perhaps more travelling, more time spent, difficult to get people together at the same time. Online, it's much easier. And I've been able to build up, I think, quite a good rapport with the individuals, they with me. I can explain the process and how they might be able to get to where they want to be. It makes a big difference to when we sort of finally get to the crunch of what's the solution to have had those pre-discussions. I hope it happens when we can get face-to-face. I hope it will happen more face-to-face to face but i'll certainly encourage people to think about doing it online as well mm-hmm. so nick now looking at sort of the back end of the mediation and, and hopefully parties do come to some kind of settlement agreement what are the types of issues they need to be thinking about when it comes to drafting such a document well actually this I, perhaps when i was talking earlier on about preparation the lawyers particularly need to give a lot of thought at the outset to how the deal might be might end up Sometimes in these cases, you need court approval, for example. Uh, you might be varying the will, which you can do in a period after after the death. Uh, so the draft and the drafting can be really critical. So uh, I encourage people to come up with a, a tentative settlement agreement in advance and where they can to share it with the other side so that those issues can be canvassed early on. Uh, not all deals are complicated, but some of them certainly can be and, and need to be sort of thought about, particularly the tax side of it. If you're trying to save tax, you want to make sure you do it properly and do save it. Um, there's some practical problems on about online mediations are, you know, have you got facilities to, to get the deal sorted out? You know, small points, but important ones about printers and, and, and how people are going to sign documents. All those things have to be thought about. Uh, Sometimes the deal is done towards the end of the day. And in this area, parties end up with some heads of terms to be thought about over the next few days, both sides recognising the deal is done, but they just need to get it absolutely right, particularly if they've got to go to court to get that uh, stamp of approval. And that happens more in this sort of case than than many. Uh, So that's what I'd I'd be planning for there, I think. most cases, let me tell you, I mean, just jumping onto a slightly different point if I can, Ben. Mm-hmm. Most cases that we've been talking about do settle. Mm-hmm. Um, and they settle for a number of reasons, I think. One is cost. Um, although the estate may be reasonably large, it can be very expensive. And the longer people argue about it, the more the estate is reduced so that everybody can see their share of the pie diminishing the longer it goes on. That clearly encourages settlement, particularly where people want to get on with the rest of their lives, uh, find often somewhere to live and and move forward. And it's a one-off dispute. It's not going to happen again. So they want to end it. Um, Other reasons are it's it's very stressful, clearly. Um, 
the law is complicated and sometimes gives the court a lot of discretion. So although lawyers will tell you they've got a strong case, as they always do, of course, there's no guarantee they ever give. And in this particular area, the court can, you know, look at witnesses and not believe them. There's a lot of areas of fact that a court can determine against you, which encourages settlement. And, and I think the key reason really is people don't want to have these sorts of issues debated in public. They're private matters. And mediation provides a wonderful confidential arena in which they can sort them out, hopefully to their satisfaction. So most of the cases do reach a solution. And that's why you know, getting it drafted in a, in a full and final sense and drawing a line is so important. Yeah, absolutely. And you, you mentioned that mediation has a, has a high success rate, both on the day and in the days and, and weeks and even months to follow. But on the day, if parties don't manage to come to an agreement to reach a settlement, what are the types of things that you're doing as a mediator? And what are the types of things that you're encouraging them to do to in order to, in order to keep the discussion positive and, and forward thinking and, and hopefully end up at a solution, maybe just a little bit further down the road than... Yeah, well, quite right. I mean, I, I don't think I've ever mediated a case yet where the parties haven't ended the day with a benefit. Mm-hmm. hopefully and ideally, and mostly it's with a settlement. But they've all, always gone away with a better understanding of their own and the other party's position. And that's generally led to a solution further on down the line. So it's never a wasted time in my experience. Uh, and I tell them that. I mean, I, I'd say, look, you've got something here. Uh, I try to keep involved in helping them to the extent I can, but often there needs to be a, a period of hiatus when they just need to settle down and think about what the real alternatives are, which generally are not what they want, which is going off to court and having somebody else make a decision for them. Uh, so it, sometimes you mediate too early, which is a factor that means people just aren't ready for it yet. Um, although in this area, people generally do mediate early because the costs and the time and the strain and the stress are such that they need to. Um, and... It's apart from that, I think you've just got to keep on going. As the mediator, I'm always the last person to leave at night or at the end of the session. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't give up. And I encourage them not to give up. And although, you know, we were talking earlier on about deadlock and, you know, where you think you're not going to get any further, you've just got to keep on moving through it and remind everybody why they're there and how far they've come. And, you know, I've had cases where people are heading off home, going down in the lift and catching a taxi. And they suddenly come back and say, you know what, we've just got to do this. And I'm still there and I'm mm-hmm. still hoping. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's not my dispute, but I, I, I'm encouraged that people do recognise that mediation provides the sort of solution that can really help them as they move on. Mm-hmm. And, and you mentioned there, you know, sometimes it can be too early to mediate. Yes. Um, can it ever be too late to mediate? Is there, is there ever a point where you go, actually, this can't really go to mediation? I don't think so. Uh, I, you know, I'm a great believer in communication, and parties can't solve things unless they communicate either directly or indirectly about it. And you know, I, I've mediated disputes after the trial, but before judgment, when both parties are waiting for a conclusion from the judge, we've had a mediation because they just think we'd rather come up with something that we decide than leave it to the judge's decision. Uh, so no, I don't think there's ever a time when it's too late. Mm-hmm. And um, just finally, you know, from from the discussion, it's quite clear that you know getting the mediator 
know, choosing the right mediator is, is incredibly important. For, well, for all mediations, particularly, I think, with these types of mediations where there's strong emotional elements at play, do you have any advice for when it comes to sort of choosing your mediator? I, well, there's quite a few of us at CEDA who do this sort of work, and I talk to them quite a lot about it because we share ideas. So I think it's always good to have someone who knows the field, knows the, 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 the legal issues. You don't have to be a lawyer. Absolutely, you don't have to be a lawyer. But help, it obviously helps to understand the legal issues. And, you know, there are, there's an organisation called the Association of Contentious Trust and Probate Solicitors, which is uh, a lot of mediators work there with that. I'm a member. And you, you, you pick up what the law is. But people don't come to me for legal advice. They come to me as a, as a good mediator. I think the key skill always, and particularly in this field, is the ability to listen understand the, the issues that people are talking about, which are not always the ones that appear to be at first sight the money. It's often a lot more than that. It's uh, you know a, a, an issue that's gone back perhaps a long, long way to childhood sometimes that people just need to talk about and work their way through. Uh, I think a bit of life experience is important. I mean, you know, there's no doubt at all that having, you know, being, uh, having been around a bit, understanding how people work, how families work helps because you can be sort of slightly more empathetic than you are if you're a 19 year old. It's mm -hmm. sort of obvious. Uh, uh, people who are w w women, you know, are, are good mediators in this field because they do have, it seems to me anyway, generalization, of course, mm -hmm. you know, a good way of handling people, which is what this field is full of. Um, Above all, good listening, then. I mean, just mm -hmm. and, 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 and the sort of determination to see it through and not to give up and keep on going and keep on helping. Mm -hmm. um, you have to be terribly patient sometimes. You have to get, you have to put your own frustrations aside completely. Um, you can't help, you know, wanting to get to a solution. You can't help wanting happy families, but, you know, you've got to recognize that's not your job. Mm -hmm. Your job is to help other people. Yeah, uh, those sort of skills I think are really useful. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much for your time today, Nick. It's been a really, really interesting discussion. Well, you've asked me some good questions. I've enjoyed <laughs> answering them. Thank, thanks, Ben.